difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up uh, in your program uh, this Wednesday, the 8th of February, we have a conversation with uh, Ryalin Cooper, a Murujuga traditional custodian, talking about new developments and pending decisions about mining and industrial projects at Murujuga. It is feared, if given the green light, these projects will destroy culturally significant sites and wreak havoc on the environment. As you'll hear, Raylene Cooper also deplores the double speak from both the Western Australian and federal governments who are joking between mining and industrial interests against cultural sites that are being considered for UNESCO World Heritage Listing. And from our Whitbin partners, it is feared that the Canadian government will greenlight this week the development of the James Bay Lithium Mine, a mineral that's used for electric car batteries. The James Bay Lithium Mine is located on the Cree First Nations land used for hunting and cultural practices. When given the green light, Cree traditional owners will not be able to practice culture on their ancestral lands and, as in Morajuga, mining exploitation will come with its lot of environmental degradation. Finally, we'll bring you reports from SBS's newsroom exploring the latest developments in federal politics, including the resignation of Lydia Thorpe from the Greens earlier this week and the ongoing debate around Indigenous Voice to Parliament. These stories after the latest news coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Bulletin, former Green Senator Lydia Thorpe seeks inclusion in the government's voice advisory group. The Albanese government criticized for continuing an offshore refugee policy. And emergency declared in Turkey as earthquake death toll passes 7,000 and Syria also seeks support from the international community in the wake of the tremor. Green Senator Lydia Thorpe is calling on the federal government to involve her in discussions on constitutional recognition of First Nations people and enshrining an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Senator Thorpe quit the Greens earlier this week to become an independent. Ms Thorpe told Parliament the government should include her within its voice advisory group. Senator Thorpe has told the ABC she'd like to see more involvement of the Black Sovereign Grassroots Movement to bring voices together and create unity. 
you don't just rock up in someone else's country and say, oh, by the way, we're sovereign now. We're going to put this colonial law over top of the oldest constitution on the planet. First peoples here. So we are the ultimate sovereign power here. And this country needs to come to terms with that. The South Australian Parliament will this week introduce a draft bill that seeks to enshrine an Indigenous voice into the state law. The model would see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people elect representatives from their geographical area, totaling 46 members. Twelve Indigenous leaders will then act as a central voice to lobby, advocate and speak in Parliament during legislative debates, but will not have any voting power. SA Premier Peter Malinowskas says the move will enhance the cause of the voice at the national level. I think lots of the questions that have been raised around the national voice will in many ways be answered through the exercise that we undertake here in South Australia. A thoughtful, considered, compassionate model that takes nothing away from anybody. Um, It doesn't diminish our parliament, rather it enhances it. It doesn't take away a vote or a say from anybody else, but helps facilitate a voice being provided to the traditional owners of our land. Prime Minister Antony Albanese is moving to distance his government's Indigenous Voice to Parliament proposal from the way Maori people are recognised in New Zealand. Mr Albanese says the Voice proposal was not discussed in his meeting yesterday with New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. But the New Zealand PM's presence at the time, Mr Albanese, is trying to sell his proposal to Australians, had had led some people to draw parallels. Mr Albanese says the way New Zealand has recognised its indigenous people has nothing to do with Australia and the New Zealand model, such as dedicated parliamentary seats for indigenous people, is not being considered. The indigenous voice to parliament is likely to be put to a referendum in the second half of this year. Independent Senator David Pocock has criticised the Albanese government after it rushed through a renewed authorisation of the Nauru offshore detention policy in Parliament. The federal government united with the coalition to pass the authorisation through the House and Senate with support from One Nation and the United Australia Party. Independent Senator David Pocock says the program has been cruel and very expensive. Kurdish refugee and uh, journalist Behruz Bouchani, who was held on uh, Manus Island for six years, addressed Parliament calling for a royal commission into Australia's offshore processing. Forty people have been killed in Manus Island and Nauru. Hundreds of people have been damaged. They've spent more than $14 billion on this policy. So this money, where is this money? Where did they spend this money? Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers says he is confident Australia will avoid a recession despite forecasts showing a slowing down of the economy. Following the Reserve Bank's Tuesday decision to leave the interest rate by 25 basis points to 3.35%, the central bank indicated more interest rate increases would be needed this year. We need to get on top of this inflation challenge in our economy, which is doing such damage to household budgets and to the economy more broadly. I speak frequently with the banks uh, about the pressure on their home loan part of their business. Uh, Some people uh, have some buffers in their home loans, but a lot of people are really feeling the pinch uh, from these interest rate rises. 
The National Australia Bank and the Australia New Zealand Banking Group have passed on the Reserve Bank's ninth consecutive interest rate increase. Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lee criticised the federal government's handling of the economy and its direct impact on households. Tens of thousands of dollars in additional payments that they may not have budgeted for. Now, we know that Labor took more spending into the election. We know that Labor has in its back pocket that if it runs out of money, it will come after yours, and the Stage 3 tax cuts are an example of that. We know that Labor rammed through industrial relations legislation that will put pressure on interest rates. Two pilots involved in a firebombing aircraft crash in Western Australia have been released from hospital in what's been being described as a miraculous outcome. The aircraft had been battling an out-of-control blaze near Hopeton when it went down over Fitzgerald River National Park on Monday afternoon. The pilots walked away with minor injuries despite the plane becoming engulfed in the flames. W.S. State Emergency Services Minister Stephen Dawson described their survival as a miracle. It's nothing short of miraculous that they were able to walk from that plane to and we're very grateful that they are healthy and well. Um, it is um, a truly remarkable outcome and it's probably testament to their skill uh, as pilots. Turkey's President Tayyip Recep Erdogan has declared a state of emergency in 10 provinces devastated by two earthquakes. The toll has surpassed 7,000 victims and is expected to increase further as rescuers try to save those still trapped under the rubble of destroyed buildings. A 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck eastern Turkey and neighboring Syria on Monday, followed by a 7.6 magnitude earthquake and multiple other high magnitude aftershocks. It's the deadliest earthquake to hit Turkey since 1999. Turkish communities of the diaspora have rallied around the world, including in Australia. Member of the National Assembly of Turkey in London, Sarah Kadigil, appealed to the international community to help. The best thing I can do to help my people over there, uh, to repeat that uh, call for help, and we are calling for help from all over the world, all of the people, because this is not going to be over over one night. This is not going to be over when all the people or their dead bodies are rescued from these buildings. They are going to be a, a long period of time. They are going to need housing. They are going to need food. Syria's ambassador to the United Nations has urged the international community to not forget or overlook Syria in the wake of the earthquake tragedy that struck Turkey and Syria. Ambassador Bassam Sabah also says that any international assistance for earthquake victims must be done in coordination with Damascus and delivered from within Syria, not across the Turkish border. He explains why Damascus has long opposed humanitarian aid coming through Turkey. Babel Hawa is not controlled by the government, it's controlled by Jabhat al-Nusra. So you are asking me about something which is out of our control. It's the international law, it is the UN Charter. It is a position of each and every country who are keen to maintain sovereignty, independence and territorial integrity. So it's a principle. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric says the flow of aid from Turkey to northwest Syria has temporarily stopped due to earthquake damage. It's a chaotic situation. 
things people also need to, to recover. We will move as fast as possible. I know the Syrian authorities are moving also as fast as, as possible. There's goodwill on all sides. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're dealing here with uh, a, a catastrophe on top of a humanitarian crisis that already existed. In the event of a crisis overseas, the Australian government provides consular services to Australian permanent residents. If you are an Australian citizen in trouble overseas, the Department of Foreign Affairs says you can call plus 61262-613305. And if you want to check the welfare of an Australian citizen overseas, ring the 24-hour consular emergency centre on 1300 there are a number of ways you can help those affected by the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. You can donate through the UN Refugee Agency website at unrefugees.org.au or the emergencyactionalliance.org.au. A new report shows an increase in phone and internet complaints and demonstrates the significant impact of the Optus data breach. The Telecommunications Industry Ombudsman's Quarter 2 Complaints Report shows a 9.9% increase in the number of complaints received between October and December 2022. Residential consumers and small businesses made almost 18,000 complaints regarding the unauthorized disclosure of personal information. Complaints about non-financial laws such as stress and humiliation from a privacy breach also increased significantly according to the report. And to sport, Xavier Cooks from the Sydney Kings has been voted the NBL's Most Valuable Player, or MVP, for the 2022-2023 season. Cooks is the third Kings player to win the MVP in the last five years, joining Jalen Adams and Andrew Bogart. The 27-year-old averaged a career-high 16 points per game, 7 rebounds and 4 assists. The Sydney Kings finished top of the ladder and will compete in the playoffs this week. And Cooks says he's received interest from NBA scouts. And now having a look at the weather around the country. Brome, mostly cloudy, 33. Perth, sunny, 31. Adelaide, also sunny, 33 degrees. Melbourne, partly cloudy, 24. Hobart, cloudy, 19. Albury, Wodonga, sunny, 29. Canberra, cloudy, 23. Wollongong, showers, 23. Sydney, showers as well, and a top of 27. Newcastle, partly cloudy, 28. Brisbane, much the same, 29. Townsville, also partly cloudy, 32 degrees. Keynes, a shower of 233. Alice Springs, sunny, 36. Darwin, partly cloudy, 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, a cloudy day ahead and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. TV radio, on radio, online and mobile. I'm Patron Tungandami on NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up uh, next in the program, uh, we'll have a conversation with uh, Rylan Cooper, a Murujuga traditional custodian, uh, talking about uh, new developments and pending decisions about mining and industrial projects at Murujuga developments that are threatening to destroy culturally significant sites and wreak havoc on the environment.
And the program also turned our attention to a similar situation in Canada where the government is about to approve the James Bay Lithium Mine located on the lands of the Cree traditional owners. Just like in Morijuga, mining exploitation, as you'll see, you'll hear, will come with its lot of environmental degradation. We also bring you reports from uh, Canberra, including uh, the resignation of Lydia Thorpe from the Greens earlier this week and uh, the ongoing debate around Indigenous voice. First, let's hear a Murujuga custodian, Josie Alex Riversong, followed by the conversation with Murujuga custodian, Rylan Cooper. Nandari bangari na undu ala Babu nu angai undu ala Kwai kanangari ma undu ala Undu ala wanginjari Kwai duru wada kanangari ma Kwai kanangari ma kanangari ma Kwai duru wada kanangari ma NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Joining me on NITV Radio is a Murujuga traditional custodian. Raylene Cooper to talk about the latest developments in Murujuga where mining projects are going ahead despite there being an application to have the area listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Area. Welcome to NITV Radio, Raylene. Thank you very much. Now, can you update us on the latest developments? Sure. Um, obviously, since 2022, we had the SOS team had submitted a Section 10 um, for protection over the Barra Peninsula, also known as Murujuga. Since um, this has occurred, we're just waiting on now the final pieces of our applications um, and for all those who had supported and con- with their concerns in the applications and submitted for the Section 10, thank you so very much. Um, it's greatly appreciated. And in saying that, we're now uh, facing more opposition in terms of... Um, the construction and development of other projects, being the Burrup Hub, which is the Woodside Scarborough Borough Hub, which consists of many projects on the one project, if you get my meaning. Also, we're concerned about Ferdinand Urea Chemical Plant, which has been considered for development on the Burrup Peninsula as well, right next door to a Yarra fertiliser plant, which is smashing out emissions. Um, in saying this, um, we're quite concerned um, the fact that with the Perdamon Chemical Burea plant, they want to remove and move significant sacred sites between three and four rock art. And how do you see this uh, development uh, panning out? We're not happy with this as traditional owners and custodians. We're very concerned. Um, you know, over the years, um, Woodside... Um, Yarra fertiliser plant and obviously Rio Tinto have been on the Burrup and other industrial projects. So in saying that, we're very concerned about these projects starting the construction at any time soon and it's quite uh, an impossible task if we're, you know, awaiting for a decision from our Minister, Tanya Pilverstedt, for her final decision 
uh, when the Section 10 is um, after it's been submitted. Um, we still think it's quite controversial and certainly hypocritical that we've got a Section 10 in place and any time these projects could begin um, on the Perdamon projects, which is quite concerning. Um, and saying that, we also have, um, which will be announced on Friday, so I've been told. And this is happening in the backdrop of um, a World Heritage uh, nomination application process. The Murujuga Corporation and State Government um, have finally submitted the World Heritage nomination for UNESCO um, on the Barrett Peninsula for the Murujuga um, Rock Art. It's quite um, hypocritical in terms of state government want to still continue and federal government um, these projects. However, there's a UNESCO World Heritage nomination, you know, currently in place um, for a decision from the conveyors um, at the United at the UNESCO World Heritage. So it's um, extremely important that there's an understanding that there is, you know, 50,000 plus rock art um, significant sacred sites, um, traditional and, and historical. Uh, custodian practices are always held here and yet we're very concerned that we're not going to be able to um, you know, be a part of the Ngura and, and go out there and do the practices that we need to and look after the surrounding areas um, that we should be as you know, custodians of the country. Yeah. I saw in a recent report that the area is the place of uh, song lines that uh stretch uh, right across the continent? Well, our songlines, I mean, songlines, the creation story from the Borough um, Peninsula, um, you know, it's a creation story and the songlines stretch across our continent. Um, these songlines are a global songline um, to all areas of our world. For those individuals who hold the footprint for these songlines, their obligation and responsibilities to protect our law, our culture, our history... This is what our old people were fighting for. This is what, you know, they blood, sweat and tears. They sacrificed themselves so that we could carry on and live on our history. And the song lines are very important to us. Um, and, you know, we will protect them with everything that we hold. And uh, the area I have to remind our listeners is home to the largest and most diverse collection of uh, ancient rock art in the world. And now it is being eyed by major corporations and mining companies for industrial development and um, mining activity, which is known to actually be destructive for significant cultural sites. And uh, not only that, uh, could be harmful to the environment as well. Yeah, yes. Um, and, you know, it's not just about removing and moving the rock art um, that's a concern. It's the fact that the emissions and the industrial pollution um, in the area, um, we're noticing year by year the changes in our weather, our climate change. You know, our animals and our plants um, are no longer in the areas where they should be thriving. It's very concerning. Um, we've, we believe our water is being contaminated by these pollutions and this, um, especially Yarra, they've already had contamination um, on the area, um, water contamination. So, you know, we're talking about explosive chemicals. We're talking about a Perdamon chemical urea plant being built right next door to the fertiliser plant. And we have a gas plant who are going to be working on the Scarborough Borough Pub. Now, we're talking about several new projects on the one project that's added on. They're not just add-ons, they're actual projects. And people have to understand the Borough Pub is huge. You know, we're talking billions and billions of dollars. And we're also talking billions and billions of dollars um, on emissions and industrial pollution. 
people have to understand we're at a critical point right now with our environment. We're at a critical point right now with the animals, the seawater, the, the water that's being impacted, you know, everything from these industrial sites. And it's a big concern with our global warming, our climate change. Um, we see it day in, day out. Um, you know, this area that the government has failed in protecting for so many years is at a critical point. And we need people to really hear our story and the truth behind it. So we're hoping that, you know, given that the um, UNESCO World Heritage, you know, the criteria is a tick in the box, is a tick, but it's certainly, um, you know, expanding the Burrup Hub is incompatible with the World Heritage listing. And that is not from traditional owners. Um, it is not from traditional custodians who are setting out an example to protect our water and others around our nation who are fighting the same fight. And we need to come together as people because this is really important. This is an important place for everybody. Yeah, and uh, here I leaked the cabinet uh, briefing to uh, Premier Mark Magon. I noted that uh, World Heritage nomination could deter new industrial development without careful management because there may be a reluctance for new industries to locate on the Barra Peninsula. Should World Heritage listing go ahead before companies have obtained key project approval? So it seems there's a little bit of a double talk there. That's right, certainly. Um, I have no idea what Mark McGowan um, is making his statements and where he's coming from. He's been out on the borough several times. He, I was standing right next to him when he signed the World Heritage nomination for the processes to start. So, uh, you know, him making outlandish statements that, um, you know, industry and, and culture can work hand in hand, that is not true at all. We see it. He doesn't live here he doesn't feel what we do. And um, his statements are so untrue and they, they have no facts to them. Um, we see it. We live it. We, we breathe it. Um, he needs to come back to, to Murujuga, to the borough, and come and see what his destruction and his, his voice and his words are. They're mind-blowing um, for him to make outlandish statements and untrue statements um, that just <laughs> culture and industry do not work hand-in-hand. At all. And for him to make statements that if, um, you know, government does not go forward and industry doesn't go forward, then, you know, he would change legislation and the Constitution allow these projects to go ahead. Who the hell does he think he is? How dare you, Mark McGowan, speak on behalf of my country, of my people's past, our history, that you are making these outlandish statements and what is expected of the federal government? Because uh, uh, I believe uh, with the, the former government, the relations were a bit tenuous. Is there any improvement with uh, the income, the, the new government uh, and uh, the leadership of uh, Tanya Blipasek? Given that um, I had voted for our current government, considering that um, our prime minister, current prime minister, had made those statements saying that, you know, with the Illuru, the Illuru statements, you know... Um, in terms of our um, Indigenous people coming forward and, and, you know, bringing us together as a people. And he's going to concentrate on well, um, heritage. You know, the Aboriginal Heritage Act is disgraceful. It doesn't help us at all. In fact, it's done nothing but destroy our heritage, our histories. And the government needs to be held accountable for what's happened in the past, in our history. And right now, everybody has voted for this government for them to do the right thing. 
right now it doesn't seem that anything happening. You know, at the end of the day, our Minister for uh, Water and Environment, Tanya Pilbersek, you know, we're hoping that she will be the last to make the final decision on the Section 10 that we've put the application in for. And we're hoping that, you know, we're, we're going to have a great decision and some protection. It's a challenging to go ahead with. It's a challenging process. Um, you know, we're here to stay. We're not going to go away. Um, and this is really important, not only for us, but for everybody. And for all those Ngurra people, First Nations people who are fighting the same fight we are, you know, we stand in solidarity with you. Um, we want to be a part of a unity that we are fighting for the best right in terms of our land, our history and our culture for all our people. And the government right now need to recognise this. Um, there needs to be truth to be said. That's what we're asking for, to truth, that we are protected and our land is protected. No more mining, no more industry, no more governments making decisions on behalf of the people. Rylan Cooper, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today on a very short notice and uh, bringing to the attention of uh, all our listeners about uh, this uh, developing and uh, dramatic uh, situation on your country. Thank you so very much for your time and please for everybody, um, together in unity and in solidarity. Let's, let's work together. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Now, the Canadian government is preparing to make the James Bay lithium mine part of Canada's critical mineral strategy to domestically produce minerals needed for electric vehicles. But some Creek community members are concerned about how the mine will transform their traditional territory. APTN's Emilia Fournier has more. The vast territory of Iwichi has provided for the Cree since time immemorial. But now, there's a new source of wealth located underneath the ground. I have mixed feelings. Yes, I see the potential of uh, economy for this mine. But I also see the downside, what I'm going to lose, my lifestyle, our tradition. The James Bay lithium mine will cut through Tallyman Brian Wapanakapo's trapline in the ancestral territory of the Cree of East Maine in northern Quebec. It has been approved by the federal government, but that doesn't mean it's a done deal yet. The mine, proposed by the company Alchem Galaxy Resources Limited, hasn't received approval from Quebec. Before that happens, an independent environmental review body has to hold public hearings in affected communities. On January 24th, Wapanakapo outlined his concerns for hunters. This area where the mining project is going to be is one of our prime and key hunting areas. It's going to be affected. Wapanakapo wants to see more income security for hunters so they can get more equipment to continue their lifestyle. Every time there's a project happening around the area, for example, the hydro, the mining, the hunters are the ones who are most affected and they're the least taken care of. The Cree from East Maine at the public hearings asked several questions about how their community will be taken care of by the mining companies. I'd like to have a history lesson for Alchem. Is he a successful company? How many successful projects he had? Is there a storyline? Has he messed up his projects? I'd like to know. 
Consultations and studies in collaboration with the Cree Nation have been underway for the past five years, says Denis Couture, head of Alcan Galaxy Canadian Operations. Couture said the mine will bring jobs and revenue to the Cree of Iwichi, but lithium mines can pose health and environmental risks. Concerns voiced at the public hearing echoed those of Ernie Moses, a tally man whose trapline will be destroyed by the neighboring upcoming Rose Lithium Mine. At the public hearing on January 24th, he said he didn't fully support the James Bay Lithium Mine and wants to make sure community oversees the project. Couture promised that the company will continue the environmental and health monitoring process alongside trappers and the Cree Health Board. Rehabilitation money need to close thing will be put on the side right at the construction at the beginning of operation. So if something happened year 5, year 10, year 15 after, the money will be parked in the bank account and we cannot do anything with this outcome. Even if we go bankrupt, we cannot take that money. So the government will take that money and do the work. But Charles Isau, a cultural teacher with the Cree Health Board, said it's too early to tell what will be the long-term impacts. Cavings and all that stuff that get into the water systems. And once it starts to get into that uh, system, then we're, we're uh, I'd have a concern. I'd be really concerned about the plant life, the animal life. Everything that we have in our, in our uh, indigenous life. Koreas have until February 27th to send questions and concerns to this email. This report brought to us by Emilia Fournier, reporting for Brino People's TV Network in Montreal, Canada. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back. Well, it's been busy in Canberra as federal parliament resumed uh, for 2023. As Sunila Wasti reports, whilst the Indigenous Voice to Parliament proposal still dominates discussion, well, the government found other avenues to attack its opponents. In an increasingly interconnected world, it can be hard to separate the domestic from the global. Just ask Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. His first meeting in Canberra with the new Prime Minister of New Zealand, Chris Hipkins, was as friendly as expected. Mr Hipkins even going as far to say that Australia and New Zealand aren't so much friends as they are family. But there was a little hitch at this family gathering, with Mr Albanese trying to sell his proposed Indigenous voice to Parliament and the New Zealand Prime Minister present. Some drew parallels with New Zealand's recognition of its Māori population, which includes a treaty and designated seats in Parliament for Māori politicians. Mr Albanese says what's occurred on the other side of the Tasman Sea is completely different to what he's proposing for Australia. It's about two things. Uh, Recognition, firstly and consultation, secondly, with on matters that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Our history is very different. So the New Zealand system, I know, with, uh, has uh, seats reserved and has a range of, of uh, things in place uh, that aren't contemplated by what will be before the Australian people later this year. Some in Australia are keen on the idea of a treaty between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. That includes the Greens. 
But, unlike their departed former Senator Lydia Thorpe, they've decided they won't let their preference for a treaty first stop their support for the voice to Parliament. With Senator Thorpe now on the crossbench, Greens leader Adam Bant says he's now throwing his and his party's efforts fully behind the voice to Parliament. The Greens still believe that we should be striking a treaty with our First Nations people and it's our view that we should be doing that first. But we don't think that a no vote would get us any closer to truth and treaty. Voting yes in the referendum for a strong First Nations voice will be a step towards First Nations justice. I and my other Greens colleagues will be campaigning yes in the referendum and voting for the legislation. The government is acknowledging, though, that its efforts to sell the voice to Parliament to the Australian people aren't completely going to plan at this stage. The Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney, has told a Labor Party room meeting that many of the people whose votes will be needed to get the constitutional change through don't even really yet know about the referendum. The Liberal Party doesn't yet have an official position on the voice to Parliament, but they do feel they can get into an attacking position on the issue of the cost of living in the first parliamentary sitting week of 2023. With interest rates again going up, opposition leader Peter Dutton has told his party room they are the party of the ordinary Australian. And he says the government's policies are making things more expensive for the ordinary Australian and not just when it comes to interest rates. What we've seen from Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party in the last eight months is that every economic decision they have taken has contributed to an upward pressure on interest rates. So it means people will always pay more for their mortgages under Labor. It means that they will pay more for their gas bills. It will mean that they pay more uh, for their electricity bills. The government, though, feels it has a counter to that argument when it comes to energy bills. And in question time, they attacked. Minister for Climate Change and Energy Chris Bowen says more renewable energy will bring prices down. And his party is the party of renewable energy. That is what good government does. Gets on with the job. Doesn't deny, doesn't deny, doesn't dissemble. Gets on with the job. That's what the Albanese government's doing because we know that the cheapest form of energy is renewable energy. We don't need to go to Japan to make videos in Hiroshima about energy. We're getting on with the job. That's not the only area where the government is feeling bold in this first sitting week. Mr Albanese is attacking the opposition for their opposing of the National Reconstruction Fund. The legislation for the National Reconstruction Fund is being debated in Parliament this week. The fund is worth $15 billion to provide loans, guarantees and equity to support major projects. The government says it is aimed at securing well-paid jobs, driving regional development and investing in manufacturing across a range of sectors. And it says partnering with business could result in another $15 billion of investment. Mr Albanese telling his party room the fund was a big part of his party's successful federal election campaign last year and that the opposition's attitude to it shows how out of touch they are. They can't say we didn't have a mandate for it. This was included in my budget reply speech when budget reply speech had policy announcements, which ours, of course, all did. And we spoke about it day in, day out during the election campaign, and we've spoken about it ever since. But in this, they show how out of touch they are. Sunila Wasti, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. 
to take us to the end of the program. Another beautiful one by uh, Jesse Kamauboy, A Lander of a Thousand Dances. One, two, three! SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.